Now, if we trust God, the almighty God of the Bible, then he can give us and save us through impossible situations. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're taking the book called The Bible, the 66 books by the 40 authors written over 1500 years, all with the same theme, and we're focusing on that theme. And in five minutes, we'll talk about that from 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Corey and Ryan are here today to let us know what they're doing. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at several of the kings and officials named in the Bible are found and confirmed in history. Ryan? Well, today as we read about King Uzziah's military improvements, we're going to actually be visiting another very ancient military structure in Spain because some very significant discoveries have been made there. Look forward to that. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice in 25 minutes. Janice? Today, my segment's called Coming Back to God. All right. So let's open up the Bible guide and listen to the Lord. Second Chronicles 25, verses 1 through 10. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king. However, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together, and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their fathers' houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from twenty years old and above, and found them to be three hundred thousand choice men able to go to war, who could handle spear and shield. He also hired one hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel, for one hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him, saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel nor with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow." Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. So 
Second Chronicles 25, 26, 27, and 28. That's what we read today. We're coming up on the end of it. It's going to be very, very interesting. You know, the, the words recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 25 sound all too familiar. They are people who served God, but not with their whole heart. One of these men was the ninth king of Judah, Amaziah. He was a relatively good king. The Bible says that he served the Lord, but not completely with a loyal heart. Now, Amaziah had 300,000 men who could fight, but he felt he needed more. So what he did, he hired 100,000 men from Israel to the north. Judah's sister nation to the north? Really? God confronted Amaziah about this through a prophet. And these men were not necessary and would actually harm Judah because Israel was in rebellion against God. God would not support those men in battle. So Amaziah's problem was that he had already paid them. And they would have been expecting spoils from the battle too. Well, Amaziah obeyed God. But the mercenaries were deeply offended. You know, there's many times that we actually do things and we realize when we're in the midst of doing them that this probably isn't the Lord's will. I've done that many times. Oh, Lord, help us. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. We're going to read about it. And have mercy on us, Lord, help us. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us. You can also go to Bible Discovery TV and click on it. It'll take you to a page where you can donate. Thank you for your donations. And also, um, it'll take you to a page where you can download it just like we printed it. So it's very, very important. But today, as we focus on this, we need to pray the mediocre king. Father, I pray today, I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to be average. I want to be wholeheartedly, 100%, totally and completely dedicated to you. I want people to know that I serve you. Bottom line. Don't care if I'm embarrassed. Don't care if people look at me funny, call me names. I need to serve you, Lord. Help me today. In Jesus' name, help us to hear the scripture, what it says today. Thank you, Father. And we all said together, amen. Now, let's look at this mediocre king, and let's understand what he was dealing with. First, Second Chronicles 25, verse 1, here's what it says. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of God, but not with a loyal heart. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. However, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Now, this is fascinating. The first thing that Amaziah did was execute his father's murderers. Now, beloved, we must be careful how we act and react. You know, when people come to power, I was in an agency or I was actually in a 
business one time and there was a shift in management and the person came in and I said to them, oh, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to fire this one, this one, this one, this one. And he didn't need to, but he did it because he was getting rid of the old and bringing in the new. And uh, that company never really made it after that. You see, beloved, we can't just change over like that. We have to be very careful how we do things. Shifting is important. Second Chronicles 25 verse 5 says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses throughout all of Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle a spear and a shield. So he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel to the north for 100 talents of silver. Wait a minute. Israel's in rebellion against God. Verse 7. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help or to overthrow. This is really something here. If we trust God, he can save us from impossible situations. Our faith is frequently trusted. I remember when I was in high school, we sang a song. No one can stop the U.S. Air Force. And I thought about that song later. No one can stop the Air Force. It was a proclamation of hyperbole. God can. God has the power and the ability to overthrow anybody. God can set in motion doubts, set in motion the way people think, or put in the place of the soldiers on either side of the border. Because God is the Lord of all of them. So we need to remember that it is the Lord God who is in control. And we need to pray and ask him to forgive our sins. And we need to go forward that way. Very interesting. All right, let's read these last couple of verses because this is really interesting. Second Chronicles 25, verse 9. Then Amazon said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I gave to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discouraged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home or discharge the troops. Can you believe that? Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah. And they returned home in great anger. Now, this is fascinating because Amaziah changed his military policy in the middle when he was confronted by the prophets, the prophets of God. You see, beloved, when we use God's principles to guide us, not to interrupt us, but to guide our resources, we, we do well. Oftentimes, we use God's principles when they interrupt us. What's it like? when we begin to use God's principles and let them guide us. Let's find out. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, all of the principles for solving our problems 
in our current financial situation, in our current situation with all, with all the military. We, we don't have any answers, Lord. Everything's out. But Lord, you are the one who controls everything. So we invite you, Lord, to come into our hearts. And we invite you to come into our situations and help us, Lord, because we need you. That's what we need. Help us, Lord, today and help us now. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we said together, make it so or amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. So as we've been reading through Kings and Chronicles, it's interesting to note that uh, the Bible talks about 42 kings of Israel and Judah, and about half of these have actually been confirmed historically. So let's take a look. The Bible records the reigns of 42 kings of Israel and Judah. Today, archaeological work has directly confirmed the existence of nearly half of these biblical kings, along with many more of their officials, princes, and princesses. The first king to be identified historically is King David. Thanks to the practice of enemy kings referring to dynasties, both the Tel Dan Stella and the Moabite Stone mention kings from the House of David. King Omri of northern Israel is next. He's mentioned by name in the Moabite stone, and his dynasty, the House of Omri, is mentioned in the records of two Assyrian kings. Ahab, the son of Omri, is also verified in the Moabite stone and is named in the records of Shalmaneser III as an enemy whose army numbered an impressive 10,000 infantry and 2,000 chariots strong at the Battle of Karkar. Though in a damaged line, Ahab's name was also recorded on the Tel Dan Stella. The name of Ahab's son Jehoram is used to confidently reconstruct this line to read Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. The Tel Dan Stella also mentions Ahaziah, king of Judah, son of Jehoram, two of Judah, as defeated or killed. The seventh king verified is the usurper Jehu. He's mentioned by name on the black obelisk of Shalmaneser III and is recorded as paying tribute. Joash of Israel is named by the records of an Assyrian king who campaigned just north of Israel. Jeroboam II is mentioned in a personal signet seal of his servant. Uzziah, king of Judah, is possibly referred to in the records of Assyria and is mentioned in two seals belonging to his officials. Maniam is mentioned twice by name as king of Samaria in Assyrian records, along with his successor Pekah. King Jotham of Judah and his son Ahaz are both known from Ahaz's personal seal that reads belonging to Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah. Ahaz is also mentioned on the seal of an official and again in the records of Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser claims to have installed Hoshea, the last king of Israel, in two separate surviving documents, and the seal of Abdi, servant of Hoshea, has been translated. The 16th king to be verified is famous Hezekiah. 
along with his personal signet seal and seal impressions from three of his servants, Hezekiah is mentioned by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Hezekiah's son Manasseh has also been verified by his own signet seal, as well as being mentioned in the records of two Assyrian kings. While King Jehoiachin of Judah only enjoyed a three-month reign in Jerusalem, he is named on a Babylonian ration tablet. The final king of Judah was Zedekiah. The Babylonian chronicle refers to him, though not by name, as the king chosen for the job by Babylon. Now, besides the individuals that I mentioned in this segment, there are many other kind of side characters that are mentioned in the Bible or, or that, you know, that we find just listed in the Bible that have also been confirmed historically. Uh, but yeah, this is just a, a smattering, a sample of some of the ones that, that have been accepted. Very good, Corey. We have the return. This is a sermon set we've done in the studio just for you. And uh, we want to make sure that you understand we've done it for you. And uh, one of the sermon sets is the return of Christ talking about Matthew 24 and Revelation 19. Very uh, directed for today's world uh, sermons and uh, very important to look at things going on around us. Right for yours, the cost, well, they, we say we like uh, $30 or more for a suggested donation. There's a couple of discs in here, so just letting you know, right? All right, well, today my segment is sort of a spinoff of 2 Chronicles 26. And in that chapter, we read a, a lot about the military improvements that King Uzziah made. And in those times, military fortifications were absolutely critical for a city's survival. And make no mistake, many of these ancient fortifications were very brilliantly constructed, which often comes as sort of a surprise to people who assume that our ancient ancestors weren't as intelligent as we are. I mean, take the Spanish city of La Bastida, for example. This city is among the very oldest cities of Europe. And as one researcher notes, La Bastida is one of the most noteworthy ancient sites found in recent years and is incredible proof of ancient man's highly advanced and developed society. And to show you what I mean, check out the military fortress there. Though originally discovered nearly 150 years ago, archaeologists only began re-excavating Spain's fortress of La Bastida in 2007. And it would be not until several years after this that the true significance of the site would be realized. In fact, it has been called the greatest discovery ever made in Spain and is one of the most important sites in Europe. This is because although La Bastida is one of the most ancient cities of Europe, it boasts a society that was highly developed and advanced. For example, the fortress there features a number of stunning characteristics, such as its strategic military design, its incredible architectural achievements, as well as its location. Built upon a steep hill, the 13,000 square foot fortress was designed to protect the city at the top. To accomplish this, the builders erected 20 foot high walls that were nearly 10 feet thick. Several towers were also incorporated into the walls. Indeed, so far archaeologists have uncovered six of these towers, each with a pyramid-like base and standing over 20 feet high. But perhaps the most effective feature of the fortress was its entrance. As one researcher explains, the front gate led into a courtyard where there was another gate, guarded by a large wooden door and powerful walls. This would create a trap. Even if the enemy broke through the first gate, they would have to break through the second gate while being fired upon from the men in the towers in the surrounding courtyard. 
The towers and walls were built with strong lime mortar, holding the walls so tightly together that they were impermeable and so sheer that there was no way for attackers to climb them. In addition to this, the fortress also featured a postern gate, which was a hidden arched doorway that allowed troops to flank the invading enemy. This gate may have been used to close the front gate once the enemies made it into the courtyard, trapping them between two gates. It is without doubt an incredible example of both engineering and military ability. As one author rightly remarks, such heavy militaristic fortifications have never been found in all of Europe, even among the Minoans. But beyond its effectiveness in warfare, the fortress of La Bastida also demonstrates some wonderful architectural achievements. For example, several large buildings have been found, as well as a pool that could hold up to 100,000 gallons of water. However, most noteworthy of all is the aforementioned postern gate, which was designed as an arch. This discovery is highly significant because it is the oldest known man-made arch in the world. Though the identity of the peoples of La Bastida is now lost to us, their fortress clearly has all the marks of an advanced society. Just what is to be expected if man was created intelligent from the beginning. So discoveries like these are very significant because it contradicts the evolutionary idea that we've been indoctrinated with, that our ancient ancestors were less human and therefore less intelligent than we are. And the fortress of La Bastida isn't just a one-off. As a matter of fact, all the evidence from the ancient world points to the high intelligence of ancient man, not the primitive workings of an unevolved people. And for more examples of this, then you can check out the two-hour documentary I did on this very topic called 30 Out-of-Place Artifacts. Uh, the fact is real-world data contradicts evolution but actually verifies biblical history because God told us that He created us in His own image, which means we were fully formed and intelligent from the beginning. And if we can trust the Bible about what it says in its opening verses, then we can also trust what it says about the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. And you can check that out by going to the resources page on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. It's an excellent, excellent documentary. Good. Jan? Yes. Well, today I put Coming Back to God as the title of my segment. Um, there's a verse here that's troubling. Second Chronicles 25, and starting at verse 1, we're introduced to Amaziah. We find out that he's 25 years old when he becomes king. But it's verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And you think, oh, good. This is good. Because as we're reading through the kings, we see how some of them do, and some of them don't, and some of them do, and we're thinking, oh good. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but then there's a comma and a but, but not with a loyal heart. He didn't do things with a loyal heart. Now, in our Bible guide today, the title of this day was Mediocre King. He was a mediocre king. He did what was right, but his heart wasn't loyal. It wasn't fully committed. He had a commitment to the Lord and to God's law. We, we see how he followed that in, in verse 4. But he wasn't able to resist the worship of other gods or to go to, go to war unnecessarily. We read that in the first four verses of, of uh, 2 Chronicles 25. A mediocre king, a mediocre person. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. And it reminded me of our relationship with God. Are we mediocre with our relationship with the Lord? Have we just said, well, you know, I said the sinner's prayer and I believe that God died on the cross for me and, and that's good. But, you know, 
And I've made room for him in my heart, but you know, he'll just come along with me with all the other things that I want to do in life because I have this goal and that goal and that goal. And I'll go to church on Sunday, maybe, or I might watch online. And is that what your life is with the Lord? I have to challenge myself as well. Am I lukewarm? Am I a mediocre person who follows the Lord? Do I know the Lord's word, but do I apply it? Do I actually um, reflect who God is in my life as a follower of Christ? It's real good questions for me to ask myself. I look at Revelation chapter 3. There's a, there's a section in there, verses 14 through 22. And you can check that out later after the program. And it's about the lukewarm church. So this isn't a building. The church, when we refer to the church in general, that is followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the people who make up the church. The church is not a building where we gather. It's the people who make up the church. So in that section of Revelation, it talks about the spiritual worthlessness of that church in Laodicea. It was nauseating to Christ, literally. He said, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. They needed to repent and to be committed to Jesus, no longer going through the motions of, of being spiritual, spiritual things, but we need to be committed. Lukewarm means unenthusiastic, half-hearted, indifferent, apathetic, uninterested. Is that you and me today? Is that how we should be serving the living God, God Almighty? The Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think so. I think we need to be on fire. I think we need to be enthusiastic. I think we need to be the light in this world, in this dark world. We need to tell people about what God has done, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go out into the world, give our testimony, and make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to come back to God. We need to be enthusiastic. Let's stop being mediocre. Let's come back to God with a fervor and live the way we need to live. Let's have a commitment to God wholeheartedly. And that's why we're here every day, Monday to Friday. Corey, you and your husband, Matlock, you take over on the weekend doing a little uh, portions there because we believe that the Bible is so important. Our relationship with, with God is so important. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. Try living without bread and water for a week or so, you're going to get pretty weak. Don't do that to your spirit. You need to live and breathe the Word of God. As we pray today, think about this. When we consider Jesus Christ, think, Lord, I want to pray. Lord, how should I solve the issues that I'm facing right now? How do I apply your principles in my life? Show me how to do that. Teach me your ways and show me your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ, I say together, amen and amen.